Today we're going to talk about the ideal healthcare system. As you know, the purpose and mission of the Talk for Doc project is to help people uh, deal with their healthcare issues and to empower them to deal with the healthcare system. I felt like it would be good to compare what the healthcare system used to be like and what it's like today. When I was a boy in the 1960s, lived in a, on a farm and we went to the local town for our family doctor. There were only two or three doctors and, and everyone was free to choose whichever one they wanted. Seldom did people move around because there was a sense of loyalty both between the doctor and the patient. In this system, the whole family was taken care of by the same doctor, and the doctor knew everyone, and everyone referred when they said the doctor knew who they meant. I wanted to be a family doctor. Later, in school, I had one burning desire that was greater than that. Though in the back of my mind it was always that I should be a doctor, which my mother taught me. But I loved <clears throat> physics and engineering and I got a degree in electrical engineering and then uh, went to medical school. I went to medic medical school at a wonderful college, uh, medical school called the University of Southern California. And I was trained uh, in, those, in that great campus by those great teachers and trained at the LA County USC Medical Center in downtown Los Angeles. I specifically chose that school and that system over others where I'd been accepted because of the abundance of patient material and the feeling that I had that I would learn basically everything there at USC. <clears throat> and that was pretty much true. When I went through rotations there I was always thinking about my family doctor and what I would encounter when I went back into into practice. The Remarkable thing about that was that there were no family doctors in that educational system. <clears throat> Every um, rotation had was manned by specialists. There were general internists, but no actual family doctors who took care of all ages and all members of the family. So once I left USC, I had my heart set on becoming a family doctor, and I went to a small town in Northern California uh, to practice medicine. In that small practice, there were about five doctors in the town, and pretty much the same. Everyone had their own doctor, and the doctors felt a very strong responsibility for each, each patient. Not only uh, um, altruistically to take care of them, <clears throat> but also to um, be able to compete with the other doctors and maintain your own practice. At that time, the small uh, hospital, which was run by, uh, which was a non-profit hospital owned by the city. Uh, the um, members of the community were on the board and ran the hospital. We took care of the patients in our office, and when they needed to go to the hospital, we admitted them, we took care of them, and we took care of everything. We were the obstetricians, we were the pediatricians, we were the internists. We did um, uh, ordered the testing and often read our own x-rays. We had specialists come to the hospital when necessary for more uh, complicated surgery, but uh, 
the group of doctors I was with uh, did their own um, uh, hysterectomies, C-sections, uh, gynecological surgery, appendectomies, and hernia repairs, breast biopsies. Uh, we did not do uh, gallbladder surgery, colon surgery, uh, or uh, mastectomies. Uh, but we did have a broad range of things we took care of as family doctors. We also manned the emergency room. There were no emergency room doctors. There was a nurse always on duty. And in those days, we carried a beeper when it was our duty. And when the beeper went off, we had to be close by the hospital because we didn't usually stay there unless we had a patient in labor where we stayed in the back room and were also available to handle the emergency room. That was probably the epitome of my general family practice, where we did everything. Later, uh, for personal reasons, I had to move to Las Vegas, Nevada to practice medicine and began uh, the same way, doing the same things in a larger city. <clears throat> but there were a lot of pressures uh, upon me. For example, when I was doing obstetrics, because there were a lot of board-certified obstetricians, and it wasn't too long before I realized that uh, that I should leave the obstetrics to obstetricians. But I continued to do surgery and assisted at all major surgery and continued to be as much as of a regular old family doctor as I could be. During that time, the indemnity-type insurance, which covered so much uh, in those earlier years uh, was began to be replaced by PPOs to some extent. Under a PPO, which stands for Preferred Provider Organization, a doctor enters into a contract with the PPO to render care. And all of the patients who are members of that PPO have to use the doctors in the network or pay out-of-network fees. That was the beginning of that sort of managed care. At that time, we still had a lot of Medicare and Medicaid and still a lot of uninsured people that uh, either got uh, care at the county hospital if they couldn't pay or uh, many off doctor's offices took care of people uh, for reduced or no pay, partly because we were family doctors and families had members who were not insured. During the 1990s, uh, the HMOs become stronger and stronger. That stands for a healthcare maintenance organization. And under that system, it's still a contract between the HMO and the doctor to take care of the patients, but the doctor has paid a monthly set fee for each member of the plan, no matter what needs they have, whether they come in uh, many times or if they come to the office, not at all. Uh, we were all reluctant to take care of people under the HMO plans because it was difficult to see how we could prosper under that kind of a plan. But as it became more prominent, more and more doctors uh, had to make that difficult decision to be a member of that plan or not. Uh, at that time, we saw more and more that patients and doctors did not have that mutual loyalty. Patients would uh, not hesitate to switch doctors if they were not on the plan even if the co-pay indifference was rather small. This was because the PPO would not pay for tests and hospitalizations and, and other services unless it was ordered by a doctor who was a part of the network. So for financial reasons, 
even though they may love their doctor, it became quite common for people to switch doctors rather readily. During the, after the year 2000, Y2K time, uh, there's, we started to see more and more of a trend to there being hospitalists. Hospitalists were doctors who didn't have a practice outside of the hospital, and they just practice in the hospital and take care of the patients while they're in the hospital. A hospitalist is basically paid not by um, the patient at all, but by the insurance company. Therefore, their financial incentive is to um, do whatever the insurance company wants them to do, which includes expediting the patient care and getting them out of the hospital as soon as possible. During that time, it became more and more common for doctors to refer more and more things out to specialists. The, though they were trained uh, in a lot of general medical and surgical procedures, they were not trained near as much as I was at USC and other doctors were in their training in the 50s and 60s and 70s. The doctors uh, of my generation had extensive training and, and were uh, trained uh, as if they were going to do it themselves. And so they came out with more courage and more um, willingness to extend themselves to do things for people. This was the way the system was, and it was also the financial incentive of the doctor to do as much as possible for each patient. The current system is uh, very much less personal. If you live in a small town or small community, uh, and even in some, still some remaining pockets in larger cities, there's still a, quite a lot of personal care. But in the, in the cities, and especially I think in Las Vegas where I was practicing, the healthcare system is very profit driven. And the profits are not as much for the doctor's sake as is for the insurance company to either save money um, or to uh, have the tests ordered only by doctors in their system and use the facilities to which they are contracted. The care has become more and more impersonal and the loyalty between doctors and patients is becoming uh, less and less. In the current system, each person under whatever insurance, com insurance plan they have whether it's a fee-for-service, which is rare, or a PPO or an HMO, or Medicare or Medicaid, still a primary care physician is at the center of the plan. However, the primary care physician has been diluted extensively because now more and more we are having uh, certified nurse practitioners and physician's assistants who are trained in... Um, primary care. Uh, they not, do not have the training of a medical doctor, uh, but they are used more and more as extenders, as they say, physician extenders. That's why often if you go to the emergency room or to a, even to a specialty's office, you will be seen by a physician assistant or nurse practitioner uh, instead of a doctor. To see a doctor requires quite a bit of assertive appeal by the patient and uh, is 
becoming increasingly difficult to see an MD. In the current system, the primary care physician uh, is mainly a triage person. Triage means to uh, decide uh, where to send s someone to decide what level of care they need or what sort of care they need. And uh, the primary care physician still takes care of uh, routine blood pressure, uh, a lot of diabetics and uh, acute illnesses, but more and more patients are being referred out to specialists for each and every problem that they have. This causes a lot of disjointed care because the primary care doctor often does not even know the specialist and the communication is poor. The um, very few primary care physicians have their own uh, in-house laboratory or x-rays and so everything has to be referred out and then records coming back. When a person is in the hospital or the emergency room, the primary care physician has a challenge in obtaining the records in a timely way so that when the person return, comes to the office that they can have the records to review. Often a person is discharged from the hospital by a hospitalist to a nursing home or a rehab type facility and uh, the primary care physician may not know this for weeks or sometimes even months later when the person comes in or brought in by the family saying that they have been staying in a nursing home. And the side on that point is that uh, in order for the nursing homes to be paid they have to have a, a medical doctor to certify the necessity of the stay and the care being given and this is challenging because um, those papers are are extensive and frequent and oftentimes uh, we are called upon to sign papers and certify things that we actually haven't verified ourselves. So in that regard, the system has become uh, very loose and <coughs> actually uh, dangerous both for the patient's sake and from a medical malpractice viewpoint uh, uh, of the doctor. So what is this all about? This is about the current healthcare system and the fact that though it goes fairly smoothly still for many people, uh, in my practice I find disastrous situations uh, all the time and if not actually disastrous they're extremely frustrating to people. They don't know what happened, uh, they're confused and they often have not been told uh, what the diagnosis is and what the plan is. To help them with this when someone's been in the hospital I often ask what did they say is wrong with you and more often than not the patient is not able to tell me what is wrong. They will say, well, they sent me home with these prescriptions and told me to follow up with you and that they would send you the records. Don't you have the records? And often I will have to say, we will try to get them right now or you may have to come back after we get the records so that I can fill in the blanks for you. I hope that you haven't encountered the great frustrations that some people have when they face this kind of healthcare system. But to point out um, the potential problems that you may run into and you won't and won't run into until you have to encounter the system 
I would describe what often happens when a person um, is discharged from the hospital by a hospitalist. Let's say the person was admitted for chest pain and had some variations on their EKG on admission that was felt was too dangerous to send them home and so they were admitted to the hospital. Let's say they also had diabetes and high blood pressure and um, therefore was seen in the hospital by a cardiologist and possibly an endocrinologist. Uh, and their uh, and that they were uh, had an extensive amount of testing while in the hospital. Well, under that situation, when it's time to go home, they may be discharged by the nurse who comes in and says, uh, the doctor says you can go home. And the person would be uh, somewhat intimidated and wanting to go home. And so they go home. And when they come to the office, uh, I, of course, want to know what was the cause of the chest pain. So I will ask them uh, that, and they often will may not know what uh, the source of the pain was. So they've had uh, heart testing, and they were sent home, and so that often means that they uh, was felt that their chest pain was not from their heart. So I asked them, what did they say to do? And they would say, well, they said to come to see you. Don't you have the records? And I would have to say, no, I don't have the records at this time. Or perhaps if we hadn't been too busy, we could have seen their name on the schedule and somehow known that we needed to obtain the records. After we obtain the records, then I review everything that happened in the hospital as closely as possible and note uh, the results of testing and any medications that were changed. I then ask them if they were told to uh, follow up with anybody else besides me, and sometimes they are said, yes, they said to see so-and-so, who was the cardiologist who saw him in the hospital. I would ask, well, do you have the business card of the hospital doctor, the hospitalist, or the cardiologist? And uh, usually they do not have really uh, hardly any information about these doctors. And so it's then my job to analyze what happened in the hospital and to uh, obtain the records, of course, and to uh, review if, in my opinion, there's anything uh, amiss. If medications were changed, I evaluate their current situation and have to decide for myself if um, their treatment seems appropriate. In other words, I have to evaluate the situation and make sure nothing's falling through the cracks and that if they're going to be referred, that the doctor to whom I, I refer them is on their health care plan, and that um, appropriate records are sent with the patient to see the specialist. That seems pretty straightforward, I'm sure, but what should happen if a person um, is in the hospital and they're told that they can go home, but they're still having a lot of problems, still in a lot of pain, or if they feel uh, really unready to go home. That's when I start giving uh, advice in retrospect. The facts are they didn't really have to go home. They could have been assertive and said, I'm not going home until the doctor comes and sees me. 
so that I can talk to him personally about my situation. Under that scenario, they might well be there another day. The problem is that they were told on the day they were said they could go home that if they stayed any longer that they would have to pay out of their own pocket that the insurance company wouldn't pay because they were discharged home. But if they're not ready to go home and they are assertive, they can refuse to leave and stay another day. At that point, they have uh, options to uh, appeal the, the discharge situation and that process can take a couple of days which uh, buys them a couple of days when their insurance company or Medicare has to pay for their stay uh, even though in spite of the fact that they were discharged. So then they wait for the doctor to come and uh, if they've been prepared they have specific uh, basic questions for the doctor. Exactly what is wrong with me? What did the specialist say? What did the test show? And what is the plan? And did you call my primary care doctor? If those things are not done, there are big gaps in the continuity of care. My goal is to help people to cope with these issues and to help them in all aspects of their health care by through education, enlightenment, and empowerment. Future podcasts will deal with specific disease issues and powerful moves to help in dealing with the health care system.